Jesus Begins Public Ministry, Part 4 Jesus Journeys Over Libanus to Sidon and Sarepta Jesus turned off from the lake and went further on toward Libanus. This he was led to do chiefly by the numerous reports current throughout the country and the great excitement to which they gave rise. Many looked upon John as the Messiah, but others spoke of another whom John's words seemed to designate. The companions of Jesus on this journey numbered from six to twelve. Some turned off at different points on the road, while others joined him. His instructions pleased them, and they began to think that he must be the one of whom John spoke. Jesus attached himself particularly to none. He was properly speaking alone, but he was sowing and preparing. In all that he did, I saw many relations to the actions of the prophets, and to their fulfillment, especially to those of Elias. Jesus went with his companions over a spur of Libanus toward the great city Sidon, lying along the sea. From the mountain height, the view was indescribably beautiful. The city was apparently quite close to the sea, but viewed from its own plain, one could see that it was fully forty-five minutes distant from the shore. It was a large, busy place. Gazing down upon it from on high, one might fancy that he was looking upon an innumerable fleet of ships. For from the numerous flat roofs arose a forest of high poles and flagstaffs, with long streamers of red and other colors, while white canvas was stretched from pole to pole or floated in the breeze. These booths were swarming with people at their different avocations. Between the houses, I saw all kinds of shining vessels being prepared. The country around was dotted with exceedingly fertile spots, all teeming with fruit. In and around these gardens were numbers of immense trees, some surrounded by seats. Steps led up unto others, so that quite a company could sit in their branches, as in a summer house. The plain in which the city lay between the mountain and the sea was not very broad. There were both Jews and pagans in the city. They carried on business with one another, and idolatry was general. The Lord, on his way, taught and preached in the shady places under the great trees, speaking of John, of his baptism, and of penance. Jesus was well received in the city. He had been there once before. In the school he taught of the coming of the Messiah and of the downfall of idolatry. Queen Jezebel, who so persecuted Elias, was from this city. Jesus left his companions in Sidon and went to a little place more to the south and away from the sea. He wanted to be alone to pray. On one side it was entirely flanked by a wood. It had thick walls and was surrounded by vineyards. It was Sarepta, the place in which Elias was fed by the widow. The Jews, as also the pagans, had a superstition connected with that fact. They always allowed pious widows to live in the city walls. They thought by doing so, they secured themselves from every danger and could practice every species of vice in the city. Old men dwelt in the walls at the time of which I am now speaking. Jesus lodged with an old man in the city wall, in the house once occupied by that widow who fed Elias. The old men who then dwelt in the walls were something like hermits. They lived there in accordance with an ancient custom honoring Elias, meditating and explaining the prophecies, 
and chiefly engaged in prayer for the coming of the Messiah. Jesus taught them concerning the Messiah and the baptism of John. They were pious, but entertained many erroneous ideas, of which one was that the Messiah was to come in worldly splendor. Jesus often retired to the wood near Srepta, and there prayed alone. He taught in the synagogue, and occupied himself also in instructing the children. In the villages around, in which there were numbers of heathens, he exhorted the people not to mix with them. There were some good people here, and some very bad ones. Jesus had no companions, excepting occasionally some resident of the place. I saw him teaching men and women in the open air, often on hillocks and under trees. The climate here is such that it always seems to me we are in May, because in Palestine the grain for the second harvest is as far advanced as it is with us in that month. They do not cut the grain so close to the ground as we do. They grasp the stalk below the ear and cut it off about an ell long. They do not thrash it. They stand the little sheaves upright and pass over them a roller fastened between two oxen. The grain is much drier than ours and falls out readily. They separate it in the open air or in a kind of circular barn with a thatched roof, but open on all sides. From Sarepta, Jesus went to a place lying to the northeast, not far from the plain upon which Ezekiel, caught up in spirit, had the vision of the dry bones coming together. Sinews and flesh took possession of them, the winds passed over them, spirit and life entered into them. I was told that the coming together of the bones, and their clothing with flesh, were fulfilled by the teaching and baptism of John. But the spirit and life breathed into them was accomplished by Jesus through redemption and by the descent of the Holy Ghost. Jesus consoled the people, who were very poor and oppressed, and explained to them the vision of Ezekiel. When he left this place, he went northward to the country which John had first visited on leaving the desert. It was a little sheep ring place. Noemi and her daughter Ruth dwelt there a long time. Noemi had so good a name among the people that she is still spoken of in those parts. Later she removed to Bethlehem. The Lord taught very zealously here. The time approached for him to retrace his steps southward and thence to Samaria for his baptism. Jacob also owned fields up here. Through this place ran a little river, back of which far up in the desert lay John's spring. From this spring the road became very steep, reminding me of that which Adam and Eve took when driven from paradise. It led down to the battlefield of Ezekiel. On Adam and Eve's route, the trees became smaller and smaller, and quite misshapen, till at last they reached a desolate region where grew some miserable bushes. Paradise was as high above the earth as is the sun. After the fall, it disappeared behind a mountain which seemed to rise before it. The Savior, on his return from the shepherd's country to Sarepta, followed the route trodden by the prophet Elias when going from the brook Kareth to Sarepta. Jesus taught here and there as he journeyed on, passing by Sidon. From Sarepta he was soon to go southward for his baptism. He kept the Sabbath in Sarepta. After the Sabbath, Jesus started for Nazareth, teaching at various points on the road. He was sometimes attended by companions, and sometimes alone. He went barefoot, 
putting his sandals on only when about to enter any town or village. He passed through the valleys toward Mount Carmel, and once he was near the road leading down into Egypt, but he turned off to the east. The mother of God, Mary Cleophas, the mother of Parmenas, and two other women, I saw going to Nazareth, while Seraphia afterward, Johanna Chusa, and the son of Veronica, who later on joined the disciples, were on their way to the same place from Jerusalem. They are going to visit Mary, with whom they had become acquainted on their yearly journeys to the holy city. Mary and Joseph, as also other pious families, were in the habit of visiting through devotion three places during the year. We have the Temple of Jerusalem, the pine tree near Bethlehem, and Mount Carmel. Anne's family and other pious people usually went to the last named place in May when returning from Jerusalem. They were on the mountain, a well, and the cave of Elias, the latter like a chapel. Devout Jews were constantly visiting these hallowed places. They came not at fixed times, but whenever it best suited them, and prayed for the coming of the Messiah. Jewish hermits dwelt on the mountain, and later on Christian Cenobites had their, their cells. In a little town on the west side of Mount Tabor, Jesus taught in the school and spoke of John's baptism. There were five followers around him, among them some future disciples. The Sanhedrin of Jerusalem dispatched couriers with letters to all the principal places of Palestine, in which were Jewish schools and rabbis, telling them to be on their guard against a certain man, of whom the Baptist said that he was the one that was to come, and that he would soon present himself for baptism. They should have an eye upon the man and give information of his actions. For if he were indeed the Messiah, he needed not the baptism of John. The members of the Sanhedrin, also very much annoyed, when they learned that Jesus was he who as a boy had taught in the temple. The couriers went likewise to a city on the road near Hebron, four hours from the sea, in that country wherein the spies of Aaron and Moses found the huge bunches of grapes. The city is called Gaza. There was a very long row of tents reaching from the city to the sea, and under them different kinds of woolen and silk stuffs exposed for sale. Jesus, with five followers, taught here and there down to the country around Jacob's well, where he celebrated the Sabbath. When he and his companions were returning to Nazareth, the Blessed Virgin went out to meet her son. But when she saw that he was not alone, she paused at a distance and went back without saluting him. I wondered at her self-denial. Jesus taught in the school at Nazareth, the holy woman being present. The next day, when Jesus taught in the synagogue before a large audience, the holy women were not present. He was attended by five disciples and about twenty of the young Nazarenes, companions of his boyhood. His hearers murmured at his teaching. They whispered among themselves that he would now, perhaps, take possession of the place of baptism that John had abandoned, and there baptizing, give himself out for one like unto John. But, they continued, he was very different from John. John had dwelt in the desert preparing for his mission. But this Jesus they knew well, and they declared that they would not allow him to deceive them. Part 5. Jesus in Bethsaida and Capernaum Jesus left Nazareth to go to Bethsaida, where he aimed at rousing some of the people by his teaching. The Blessed Virgin and his followers remained behind. During his stay in Nazareth, 
Jesus had stopped with his friends in his mother's house. But so much discontent and murmuring arose in the little town on his account that he resolved to go to Bethsaida for a while and return to Nazareth at some future time. He was accompanied by Emmendor, the son of Veronica, a son of one of the three widowed relatives of Jesus, whose name sounds like Sirach, and one of Peter's relatives, known later as one of the disciples. At Bethsaida, Jesus taught very forcibly in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He told his hearers that they should now enter into themselves, repair to the baptism of John, and purify themselves by penance. Otherwise, a time would come when they would cry. There were many people in the synagogue, but none of the future apostles, excepting, I think, Philip. The others belonging to Bethsaida and the country around were celebrating the Sabbath elsewhere. They were in a house near the fishery in the neighborhood of Capernaum. During this preaching of Jesus, I prayed that the people will go to the baptism of John and be truly converted. Thereupon I had a vision in which I saw that John was the one who washed from the people their rawness, their coarseness. I saw him working so actively, so vigorously, preaching so vehemently that his camel skin slipped from shoulder to shoulder. This, I think, was merely symbolical, for at the same time I saw something like scales falling from some of the newly baptized, black vapors issuing from others, and light shining clouds descending upon others. In Capernaum also Jesus taught in the school. Crowds came from all sides to hear him, among them Peter, Andrew, and many others who had already been baptized by John. When Jesus left Capernaum, I saw him teaching two hours distant from the city toward the south. His hearers were numerous. He had with him only the three disciples, for the future apostles who had heard him in Capernaum had, without exchanging words with him, gone again to the sea. Jesus spoke here also of John's baptism and the fulfilled promise. He then went on toward the south, teaching here and there, down to lower Galilee in the direction of Samaria, and kept the Sabbath in a school between Nazareth and Sepphoris. The holy women from Nazareth were present, also Peter's wife and the wives of some others of the future apostles. The place consisted of only a few houses and a school. It was separated from Anne's former residence by a field. Of the future apostles, Peter, Andrew, James the Less, and Philip, all disciples of John, came to hear Jesus. Philip belonged to Bethsaida. He was tolerably well-educated and was much engaged in writing. Jesus did not tarry long here. He took no meal, but only taught. The apostles had, probably, celebrated the Sabbath in the neighborhood, for the Jews often visited other places on the Sabbath. Being informed of Jesus' presence, they had come to hear him. He had not yet spoken to any of them in particular.